Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Good afternoon, everybody. Seth and Sean Sports Radio here on Blog Talk Radio, backsportspage.com. Before we get to the show today, very important day today, Veterans Day. We'd like to send our appreciation out to the fine men and women that serve our country every single day. My grandfather, for a buyer, served in World War II. My uncle, Stephen Lowe, served. Such athletes, such as Jackie Robinson, Tom Landry, Bob Feller, David Robinson, Patty Berg, Yogi Berra, Bob Caluso, Bob Feller, Jack Dempsey, Hank Greenberg, Ted Williams, Roger Staubach, John Wooden, Warren Spahn, all gentlemen that at one time or another were major prolific athletes or coaches and that served in our military. So on this day, and I know Seth and I have a little consternation with the, with the national anthem being played before sports games, have a little consternation with God Bless America being played during the seventh inning stretch, particularly myself. But all that goes out the window today. Today is a day to honor those veterans that have served in our military and militaries around the world. It's not just the U.S. Veterans Day to me. This is Veterans Day everywhere. So to the men and women that have served in, in the armed forces, thank you for, in some cases, committing the, the, to committing the ultimate sacrifice, but on a day-to-day basis for standing up to protect what we believe in. So we'll start with that. Seth, welcome. Uh, thanks. And uh, you, you stated it more eloquently than I could. Although I'm curious, who is Bob Caruso? I don't know. That, I, Bob I don't know Caruso. That so I was surprised as I went down the list of those that have served in the military. Bob Caruso, it's Calso, actually. Calso, excuse me. After being named the Buffalo Bills Rookie of the Year in 1969, he entered, this is from SI.com, uh, Los Angeles CBS. Calso was called into active duty in Vietnam, so basically one year. He entered the service as a second lieutenant in the 101st Airborne, and on July 20th, 21st, 1970, he, became under, he came under mortar fire and died at 25, killed in action on that day. So from one year, 1969, being named Rookie of the Year, for the Buffalo Bills, to the next year, unfortunately, in Vietnam, passing away. So, quite a, quite a sacrifice that he made. He, and, it, and you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about the sacrifices of the people, the, the people that serve, no doubt, but also their families, right? I mean, their families that, that struggle on a daily basis as to whether their loved ones are coming home, and in some cases have to deal with the fact that their loved ones do not. So they give as much 
of a sacrifice as those that are joining the military because it's their emotions that are being played with every single day. So our thanks and, and, and honored uh, to have any of you military people listening. I know that a couple sometimes do. And thank you very much for everything that you've done to allow us to have the freedoms that we have every single day of our lives. So with that, we can get on with the show with a player that probably will not be playing very often in the future, if playing at all. Seth, Carmelo Anthony, who could have predicted this would happen? Me. (laughs) Well, I think everybody, Uh, right? I mean... Look, under the right happenstance, you know, players have to transition at some point in their career to not being the player, not being the man anymore. And you would have figured that Carmelo figured that out in Oklahoma. But he wasn't happy about it. You know, requested a being cut trade, whatever you want to call it. Comes to Houston where he's a definitive, you know, the third. He's the third player. And the problem was Houston didn't need him. Houston needed to keep what they had with Luke Mote and Trevor Ariza. And to get a guy who's going to shoot 40% from the floor, you know, someone who, you know, someone who at best has had a dubious relationship with the coach. And unlike in New York where he had all the leverage, in Houston he has none. It never really seemed sensible as a fit. Um, now, we don't really know the exact specifics of what's going on here, but it does look like he will be cut. And the strangest thing that I've seen is actually Kyrie Irving making the comment how Boston could use a 15-year veteran to help get them over the top, which to me is incredibly illogical because they brought him in to be the leader, number one. That's what he wanted, why he left LeBron, just to be the man. Number two, you have Al Horford, who's, while maybe not, ceiling certainly not as high as Melo's, as a floor that's certainly higher, and is, you know, still an all-star, and has been been in the league for 12 years. I don't know what, I don't know what Kyrie's thinking on that. And Houston is, what, four and seven, five and six? they, you know, you've heard of the Super Bowl hangover. This is like this is much worse than that because this is the Western Conference final appearance hangover. It seems like they just seem completely disassociated right now, and maybe this is a wake up that they would need. Well, I think number one, the thing that Abute and Ariza brought to to Houston. Now, Houston is basically a an ISO team, a, a team that likes to isolate the, pl- the ball, James Harden, Chris Paul, and then go play, I would say, at the time last year, what you would constitute as mediocre defense. You have especially James Harden, who's basically the human turnstile, and you're lucky to have Clint Capella behind them to basically do a – I don't know, a pseudo Dikembe Mutombo, right? I'm just going to stay in the paint, and I'm going to hopefully block everything that was missed by everybody else, which is everything. But at least Ariza and Butte were decent defensive players. They brought a one-on-one defensive presence 
to that team. I don't think, Seth, you lost anything with those two guys on the offensive side of the ball. I think, no. look, Melo's doing what those two guys did on the offensive side of the ball. The problem is, for me, and the problem is, obviously, for Houston, is twofold. First of all, Carmelo thinks it's 2006 and that he should be starting and, sh- and shooting 20 shots a game. And number two, Car- the only person that's worse on defense than James Harden is Carmelo Anthony. And I've been saying that for years. The guy has never developed a defensive game. And until you – he wants to be known as one of the best players in the NBA or wanted to be known. He never got that because he was never a complete player. He was an offensive volume scorer. And that's fine when you're on a team like the Knicks where they're going nowhere. And that's fine if you're the number one guy and everybody has to respect you. But as you said before, he's just not that guy anymore. And so my question to you is, assuming he gets let go by the Rockets, which all indications are he's played his last game there, is this the end of the line for Carmelo Anthony? Now, someone, one more team will make a run at him. I don't know who it is. And I, I, I don't really – I don't know where the fit is. Because it kind of reminds me of Iverson at the end of his career. You know, the unwilling to make the transition. And not the superstar anymore. But kind of, the you know, the – in a league where so – you know, it's, I shouldn't say what Iverson, you know, left the league was, I guess, 05, 06, 07, I guess a little bit later than that. You know, they didn't have the offensive firepower that's there currently. And Melo just doesn't have it. What was so frustrating about Melo was when he played in the Olympics, you did see the defense. You did see the rebounding. So it wasn't that he was incapable. It was he wasn't motivated seemingly to do so. And I think someone will take will make a one will take a shot at him. I don't know who it is. I think he will get one well, more shot. Go ahead. Yeah, you and I have always come back, and I think pundits have always come back, including ourselves, to the fact that he played that way in the Olympics. He could be this guy that was in the Olympics. Remember, the Olympic rules are different. Look, I'm one of those people yeah. too. I. I th- he played a much different game in the Olympics than he did anywhere else. But in the Olympics, he only played 18 to 22 minutes, right? He didn't play a full game. He, he, had, he had his time. He started. He got the respect that he wanted. And he played with guys that he believed were so much better than him. And right now, the problem is – and. And remember, Carmelo acted like that when he was the best player on the team or where he could dominate the ball or when when he was 23 years old and he realized, I'm nowhere close to the best player on the team, right? So he was either not, he hadn't gotten that ego yet. And when he got the ego, he realized he was the best player. So he could do whatever he wanted and played within the system. I'm not sure, we, we, again, we talk about the Olympics. The Olympics came at a bad time for Carmelo because it never really appeared that he learned how to play the Olympic basketball game 
in the NBA. And not to say that the Olympic basketball game is the NBA, because it's not. There are different no, rules. It's not. If you'd like to call, if you'd like to call in, 760-283-0846. 760-283-0846. So my question to you is thus. So right now he's averaging about 14 points a game, which for most players would be tremendous, right? I mean, the majority of the NBA does not average 14 points a game. What do you believe? We, we've seen players go down this path, right? We've seen Willie Mays, Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath, guys that are just hanging on for the sake of hanging on. And there, there are a bunch of those. I mean, we could, if, if you're not just going from one team, you can name a bunch of these guys that just keep hanging on. For the, Steve Carlton is the, is the one that I recall the most when he was just hanging on for a 300th win, and he hung on for like four more years at 300. What do you think Carmelo's points-per-game average in his last season will be? Under 10. Okay, so you, you don't believe he – you don't think he bows out gracefully at all. You think he's no. just going to – he's going to be a mercurial guy, kind of like a Gary Payton type guy that just keeps going from uh, – hopefully going from team to team – and if he averages six points in his last year and gets a ring, he'll be happy about it. Well, here's the thing. You know, I used to begrudge players for this. And when Jordan came back, I kind of started to think about it a little bit differently. The reality is, look, this is what he knows. This is what he loves. This is what he wants to do. And... Who am I to tell, look, I never got the opportunity to play a sport at any level worth a damn. This is his career. This is what he loves. Mm -hmm. He wants to hold on. Who am I to say that he should or shouldn't? Is it going to tarnish his legacy? Not the last year or two, Paul. You know, you talk about Willie Mays and you talk about Johnny Unitas. Who the hell remembers Johnny Unitas with the San Diego Chargers? Or, you know, or, or, or Joe Namath with the Rams. Nobody does. It doesn't really tarnish. Now, if you want to say that he was a coach killer and that was a legacy tarnishment, that's one thing. To me, I think my guess is he'll, he'll make one more shot at a ring somewhere. But it probably, <clears throat> I still don't see really the, how it'll, it'll work out. Because you still see yourself as, you know, yes, you want to keep playing, you want to keep playing. But it's hard for, look, the last person who ever knows that it's time, time to go is them. And I'm not saying they should. They should, if they want to hold on, they can hold on as long as they want. But, but you can't have an ego about it either. We're thinking that you should be the number two or the number two score in Houston. You shouldn't be. Okay. You know, okay, so you just. You just talked about players that did not tarnish their legacy from going from one team to another. And like I said before, those three examples were only guys that went from one team to another once, right? And that was it. Remember, if Melo goes to another team, he'll be on his fifth team. Not his second team, his fifth team. So he's more in the line of a Gary Payton type player 
who went from Seattle to Milwaukee to the Lakers to the Heat, I believe. Four or five teams, right? So, no, I don't believe you're tarnishing the legacy of those types of players, the types that only go from one team into another, like a Jordan or so forth. But I have to tell you, Gary Payton's legacy isn't that great going from team to team to team to team. I think Shaq's legacy – hold on, let's go to Shaq, right? Shaq's legacy was – Shaq's legacy was made on three teams, right? It was made on the Lakers, the Magic, and, and, um, and the Suns, right? No, the Lakers – sorry, the Heat. Sorry, the Heat. I, I messed up the – sorry, my head's in a little bit of a cloud today. The Heat, the Magic, and the Lakers. Right, but there are plenty of people that realize that he played for the Suns, the Celtics, and the Cavs too, and that legacy to me is a little bit damaged by the fact that he just kept doing that. It, okay, him and you. I see. To me, it's not. It's not. To me, there's only really two teams. When you think of Shaquille O'Neal, the only teams that come to mind really. Over the Magic and the Lakers, he was the Heat. People vaguely remember to a degree, but it wasn't. You know, he didn't win the World Championship. You know, Dwayne Wade did. Um, and nobody remember. I don't think anyone, unless you're a diehard basketball fan, remembers him with the Cavs or with the Celtics. And nobody cares. Like, what is his legacy? His legacy was he was a five-time champion. I think a two-time MVP, but I could be wrong. Maybe he was only once, I forget. You know, and a guy who probably could have been the greatest center of all time, but wasn't, but still goes down to the top 15 to 20 player of all time. But I, I don't see the tarnished legacy. He wasn't a better, to me, whether he wasn't a better center in his prime, he wasn't a better center, I shouldn't say, in his career, than Chamberlain, than Russell, than Jabbar, and in my mind, probably than Olajuwon. He may have been more dominant, but he was not a better player. So I, I, I don't think whether he stayed an extra year or two in Boston or in Phoenix or in Cleveland, that that impacted him very much. I, I don't see it. Okay. That, look, that's fair. I mean, to me, when, when you look, here's where I see it, okay? And you're right. It's, the, it's not the diehard so much. But to me, when you went to the Baseball Hall of Fame as a child, or you went to the Basketball Hall of Fame as a child, and you saw the list of teams that some of these players were on, let's say Pete Rose, right? When I was a kid, I, re- I really forgot that Pete Rose ever played for the Montreal Expos. In fact, I totally forgot that he did until I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I was a Pete Rose guy. I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I was like, he played for the Montreal Expos. Wow, I didn't remember that. And then I went looking at him as a Montreal Expo, which wasn't exactly a beneficial time of his career. So if you see a guy like Shaquille O'Neal or, say, Carmelo Anthony, we're talking about legacies, right? The legacy is when the kid, to me, the legacy is when he goes to the Basketball Hall of Fame and he sees Shaquille O'Neal played on six different teams. And people are like, wait, what? He played on the Cavs? And then they go look up his YouTube clip as a Cav, 
and he's fat, and he's lumbering down the court doing absolutely nothing, <laughs> or even, or even worse, wearing number thirty-six as a Celtic. That's the one that's got me. It's not even the Cavs. <laughs> it's the Celtics, right? I mean, that it, that that's where also, the legacy goes to me. But I think also each player has the right to make a determination how much their legacy really means. And if you decide, you know what, I just love the play. You know, I know I only have a year or two left, and I'm not going to be the guy that people remember, but I love to do when I get one more run through on this. And I don't care about it. The legacy is not as important. Either I've established it or I haven't. Either, you know, for Shaq, you know, 18 years in, either people – Loves it, you know, he was who he was at that point. So I don't have a problem with it. I had a problem with it when I was younger. I don't anymore. Because I think a lot of them see it as, you know what, I'm going to be doing whatever I'm going to be doing for the next 25 years. I'm not going to enjoy it as much as I get to do this one more run for it. And if it tarnishes my legacy by 2%, I'm still going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm still going to be an all-time great. And I can live. I can live with that. Okay, so let's Okay, so let's bring it back to Carmelo, which is where we started with this. Do you think he sees it that way? Or do you see think he sees it as an ego trip? Carmelo is different. Because well, that's where we said that's Shaq, where we started, well, right? Well, right, but we progressed past that. When we said Shaq. Okay. Carmelo is not an all-time great. Carmelo is a great scorer who will be a Hall of Famer. Carmelo is not in the top 30 or 40 pantheon of all-time players by any stretch. Um, so to, to him, it, you know, what is he – What is he? well, he never won an MVP. He, I don't think he's ever come close except maybe the one year in Denver. Yeah, he's won one or two scoring titles. Well, so did Jerry Stackhouse. Um, you know, his legacy, honestly, is a lot almost of like the coach killer esque kind of thing. You know, he left also under really bad circumstances. Now, I'm not saying Shaq didn't in Miami, in Orlando, excuse me, you know, which he's already kind of stated his regret for over the years. But the difference with Melo is Melo does not leave beloved anywhere. You know, he doesn't really live like anywhere. So I think he I think it's just a different situation with him. Well, there is one place that Mello will always be beloved. Let's understand that, right? Right. In Syracuse, he will always be beloved. I think he came from New York. I think it's Dunbar. He played out of Baltimore. No, he played out of DeMatha, I believe. But... I'll look it up. I'll look it up. But the fact is, he'll definitely be beloved at Syracuse for the rest of the time. His, his shirt, his jersey was retired. Yeah. Every time he shows up, his name is on the Carmelo K. Anthony uh, Center for Basketball. I mean, you yeah. really He's for, for spending for spending less than ten months in any one place. You can't really be more beloved than Carmelo Anthony is in Syracuse University. That's that's a true statement beyond no reproach. But 
Seth, let, remember, the Hall of Fame and basketball in general is all about career statistics that transcend just the NBA, right? So if you're saying, is he a top 50 player in the NBA of all time? No, but you might be able to make the case that he's a top 50 player in basketball of all time. You, you throw three gold medals, a national championship, and what he's done in the NBA, in a top 20 scoring in the NBA, that's a hard resume to match. Okay. Um, it's possible. Not saying I'd have to think about it. But, you know, also then you throw in other players, like Christian Leitner can be in there as well. But, sure. Yeah, Absol- no, I mean, Absolutely. But the problem with that is then you're starting – if you're going to say all basketball – then you have to throw it in the international, and that makes it a lot more difficult. Because we're just not knowledgeable enough. No question. No question. Uh, We we know maybe 20 international players at at the most. Uh, And I think the the earliest one that I know is Arvidas Sabonis, which, wow, I'm surprised I even pulled out Arvidas Sabonis. But anyway, okay, so that's number one. Number two, while we're on the Syracuse team – Syracuse bandwagon. What do you think about game day eschewing Yankee Stadium? Now, granted, Yankee Stadium is going to be really cold to go down to UF, UCF against Cincinnati. So, let's hear. We won't take Syracuse versus Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium, but we're going to go down to Central Florida and, and game day watching UCF versus Cincinnati for the AAC, basically, regular season title. Your thoughts? It's very, I was a li- it's very simple. I was a little perturbed. I was a little perturbed. It's very simple. You're not a home game. For a neutral site, okay. for a yep. neutral site, it has to be an extraordinary game. This is not an Number extraordinary game. Like, it's, it's the biggest game of the day. But it is not a game. It is not a season changer game. It is not. It is Whoa. not. A, no, it's not. I'll, I'll, it I'll a take a little offense to, to that. Biggest, you can take all the offense you I'll want. It's, it's, hold on a second. It is a, hold the on biggest a second. game of the weekend. If if Notre Dame loses, that's the end of their yeah. bowl chance. That's the that's the end of their bowl, right? A hundred percent, right? Yeah. They're done. Yeah. Okay. If Syracuse yeah. beats them, that catapults them into probably the top seven. Yes? 11, 11 beating a four? Not that high, but it'll make them the number of the highest two, two lost teams, whatever that is. Okay. Okay. If you have UCF, who's number 12, and they lose, okay, that's the end of their, their livelihood. That's the end of their season as far yeah. as – Bowl, bowl contention. But if Cincinnati wins, what do they get? They're, a, they're not even in the conversation. How is this not a game? How is this not, a, a, quite frankly, a season-altering no. game? No, it's, a, it's not a big – I'm not surprised. I'm not saying it's the right decision, but I think the way they look at it is, number one – it's, it's not a home game. You're not going to. You're Correct. not going to it. You're not going to a, to 
You know, going outside the carrier dome at 6 a.m. To, to do this. So you're going to be in the South Bronx. And let's be honest, nobody should be in the South Bronx at 6 a.m. No. No, 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 no. They were planning on... No, hold on. They were planning on doing it from Times Square. Okay, that I didn't know. But still, the point kind of maintains the same. It's not Syracuse. It's not at Syracuse. It's in New York City. Okay. Which is... Okay. Number two... I think there's also some love here for a UCF team, which hasn't, which is what, 21, what, 20 in a row? 21 in a row, something like that? Whatever it is. 23. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay. They're, the, they're, this is their biggest, you know, this is, I guess, their biggest obstacle to, you know, defending their championship and playing a 9-1 Cincinnati team. And then, if I, you know, I guess the other thought is Notre Dame is in Notre Dame is in unless they lose. Do you see any way that they don't make it as an undefeated team? No. Okay. If UCF wins out, it pretty much what are we doing here? This is a sport that is built on controversy. We have a UCF team that went twelve and zero last year and then beat Auburn, a top ten team in a bowl game. Are we really going to be looking at a team that's won 26, 27 in a row and is not going to get is practically is not going to get a chance? This will add, you know, to, to get a shot at a Clemson or an Alabama, which look they would not beat. But I think this is to give some to that to a team that's really been amazing the last few years. Some controversy in a year that's really not looking that controversial. And then at the end of the day, in the, in the middle of November, would you rather be in New York City, where it's going to be 35 and potentially snowing, or would you rather be in Central Florida? Look, I totally I understand is- from the I, – I totally get it from the point of view that I don't want to freeze my tail off. I mean, if that's part of this, that makes all the sense in the world because I'm not even sure I'm going to the game because the tickets are 200 to $250 a pop. And I'm going to freeze my tail off. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I thought you would have. I thought you would have bought tickets already. So I've been looking for tickets for a couple of months, and they have not gone below two hundred dollars. I mean, much below two hundred dollars, maybe one hundred and eighty-five. But no, they have not gone that low. And to well, let's understand. There's two reasons for this. Number one, it's considered a Notre Dame home game. So most of the tickets went to Notre Dame. Okay. Okay. So, well, that when Notre Dame controls the tickets, they can pretty much sell it whatever they want because they have enough fans that can yeah. buy them. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, it's going to be freaking cold. Yeah, I mean, more than, more than anything else, you're looking – I mean, according to AccuWeather, and I don't necessarily trust AccuWeather every single day, but let's look at it. Saturday – well, Friday it's supposed to pour. It's got a 71% chance of rain on Thursday and Friday. So if you push that, if the weather forecast is not exactly perfect and it's raining in New York on Saturday, the low is 36 and the high is 47. So, oh, yeah. Oh, God. So, so you stayed outside for the pinstripe bowl in, in, when Maryland played at Yankee Stadium. And it was cold. I remember you coming back saying it was cold. 
But I let's understand if it's cold. let's understand if it's cold and raining. <laughs> you you might as well put the medical tent outside for all the people that are going to have hypothermia by the time this is done. And the and the last thing is Seth and look, there are very few times that I will say this about a sporting event. I don't believe going to that game is any better than watching it on TV. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, most of the fans are going to be Notre Dame fans. I'm not really interested. And number two, Yankee Stadium is not built for football. The sight lines, I've looked at the way the field is going to be shaped. The sight lines are awful. Like, you're going to be so far away from the field that it's going to remind me of a Final Four, except I'll be my Final Fours I've been inside. So not freezing my tail off. So I know you went to Yankee Stadium to watch the pinstripe bowl. I don't know how good your seats were, but what was your take on the actual experience of the game? It was so damn cold that I didn't – I mean, the reason I went to the game was my cousin flew in from Chicago, something you both of us would have done. Um, flew in, who I hadn't seen in a couple years, flew in – at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., I picked her up in Newark Airport. We drove straight to the bars on the Upper East Side on a, and then drove up to stands on 160th and went to the game and then went home. And I, and I drove her to the airport. So it was really cold. It was a lot of fun, but the problem, like it always is, is trying is going to these games and going to the bars. And you have 70,000 people trying to fit into 10 bars. That's not fun. Right. <laughs> right. And, no. and that's actually, that's actually, I have a friend coming in this weekend as well. And when we thought about this weekend, it's not a cousin, it's just a buddy from Massachusetts. We had thought about, okay, we're going to do Syracuse on Saturday, and we're going to do the Islanders at Barclays on Sunday, because he's a big hockey fan. And then when I saw the prices of those, of like, look, the prices of the Islander games are, are nothing. It's like 20 bucks a seat. He's like, did you get tickets? Did you get tickets? I was like, that, that, that doesn't concern me. That's the easiest thing in the world to get. When, when it comes to the Notre Dame game, I mean, look, I'll go on SeatGeek right now and take a look. I think that the, the cheapest ticket before going on this app will be over $180 plus fees. So let's take a look at what it is. It's like Syracuse Notre Dame, November 17th in the Bronx. The cheapest ticket is $211, my friend. And it is in the left corner of the end zone in the last section of the bleachers. On that corner where the bleachers are, like all the way in left field. I wouldn't pay $21 for that ticket. Well, here's the kicker, too. You talk about wind, that's where you're going to get the wind. Because you got nothing yep. on the right side of you. So, as much as I do love my Syracuse guys, I, I'll take that money, that $150, $200, I'll put it in the bank for this week, and I'll spend it on a ticket when we go to Minneapolis in March. I think that's a better use of my money. I also think that we so here so given that and given the fact that I'm gonna watch this on TV and probably drink about fifty dollars worth of booze, if not more, 
What is your do you think Syracuse has a chance in the game? Chance, yeah. I mean, there's no reason. Look, this is a team that could very well have beaten Clemson. Yes. Um, this is a team that has not been blown out in any game, and this is a team that has been that has really been very, very solid. Do I think they win the game? No, I don't. But do I think he'll keep it interesting? I think it'll be something like 38-27 where it's close with about – Notre Dame scores with about five minutes to go to put it away. Where I think it's a four- or five-point game and they score a late touchdown. Um, would I be shocked if you won? No. I'd be surprised, and I'd be really happy for you. Look, you know, it's, it would be really nice to see you guys in a, in, a, in a game. Look, we're not going to bowl anymore, so the pinstripe bowl is meaningless now. So if we're not going to play you in a pinstripe bowl where I have an excuse to go to the game – I'd like to see you guys make a New Year's Day ball. I think that we're a group of six ball. I think that'd be really neat. And if you go, look, yeah, if I, you can win out, you'll go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If we if we went out, if we beat Notre Dame, and then go to BC and beat them next week, we'll be in. And then we have an well, then we have an ACC championship game, but we wouldn't play in it. Is Clemson would be above us, as would Pitt. Right. That's what so we wouldn't. We, right. So the question is, would you, if you are the, if you are any committee or whatever, the selection process, would you take the loser of the ACC championship game over Syracuse if they both have two losses? And I don't know the answer to that question. I I don't know. It depends who it is. I I don't know who it is. Well, well, I think it would likely be, hold on, I'm going to look it up. Is it Virginia? Uh, Hold on. None of those teams are going to have two losses. Hold on. I'm looking it up right now. ACC football standings. It would be. Sorry, Google's taking a look. Where the heck did that go? ACC Coastal. So Syracuse. Well, that's 2017. I need 2018. It's not helpful. Uh, One second. So. Well, let's say it's Pittsburgh, right, who beat Syracuse. Pittsburgh has, like, four losses. There's no two losses. Okay, no, 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 no. So so Clemson is in the same division as Syracuse. So Clemson would go. So if Clemson goes and they lose, people would take Clemson over Syracuse, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Right. The other side right now would be Pittsburgh, and they are six and four. So you're right. So Syracuse yeah. wins out. They'll be ten and two in the first ten game season since Donovan McNabb and I was in college. So that would be a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment for Dino Babers. And unfortunately for me, as we said last week, I I fear for the fact that Dino would no longer be part of the organization at that end. Um, yeah, you go except, ten and two. Where is he going? I don't think Look, he's I gonna, keep he's saying, gonna be a USC guy. Well, I, I keep saying USC. Oh yeah, from from reports, you guys have already offered him four million dollars. Oh, I haven't heard that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yep. So Dino was okay. born in Hawaii. 
He was a coordinator at both Arizona and A&M. And then he went to Eastern Illinois. He went to Bowling Green. And then he became Syracuse coach. So the question is, he's 57 years old, which he acts a lot younger than 57. Yes, he does. But so I I think USC, I, look, if Lincoln Riley's gone, if he leaves Oklahoma, that is a plum job, my friend. That's a top five job yeah, but, in, in college. Yeah, but he's not going to get to Oklahoma. There, there are certain schools that he's not going to get USC and he's not going to get Oklahoma. He's he just not. You know, it's, there's, there's a tier. And I'm not saying he can't do better than Maryland. I don't mean that. But there's a tier of six to eight schools that he doesn't have the pedigree to do. And that's what, and those are two of them. At 10 and 2? Let's remember. Hold on. Hold on. Let, I, and look, I'm not ex, I'm, I'm, I, I like Dino Babers. I really do. But I never really looked into his past until this past week. And I don't mean like background checking. I mean the fact that what he's done in his career. His second year in Eastern Illinois, he went 12-2. and two. He went 19-7 yeah. total in Eastern Illinois. His second year at Bowling Green, he goes 10-3. and three. He goes 18-9 and nine total at Bowling Green. His third year at Syracuse, let's say he wins out and beats number four Notre Dame and then probably number 20 uh, Boston College. Then goes to a bowl game against, I don't know, let's say a top 20 team and beats them. Okay? I'm not saying he will, but let's say he does. He goes 11-2 and two in his third year. And in each of the other stops, the last year that he was there, he won double-digit wins. And this is the third year he's won double-digit wins and won four, over four um, na- nationally ranked teams. You don't think he has the pedigree to go to that type of school? No. Well, then Where, I'm confused as to what type of pedigree you need. He, when he was an assistant coach, you, you, you yeah. ran through it, and I didn't hear everything. Where was he an yeah. assistant coach? Baylor, UCLA, Pittsburgh, A&M, Arizona, San Diego State, Purdue, Northern Arizona, UNLV, Eastern Illinois, Arizona State, Hawaii. Okay. So out of all those programs, which were 12 or 13 that you mentioned, yep. how many of them were in Oklahoma or Texas or USC there was only two names that really stood out. And I don't know Probably, the length yeah. and what his position was. A&M yeah, so, and you know, like, UCLA is a mediocre well, football school. So the only one we're talking well, is could, A&M. Well, you could say Baylor is in there too. I mean, he was no, he there can. when Baylor was – well, he was there when Baylor was really good. So that's the only reason why I'm saying it. He was there with Robert Griffin III. So, okay. But – he never coached in a Florida or an LSU or a far. When you look at the guys who get these jobs, they yeah. either were an assistant at one of these big, big, big time schools, or they, there's yeah. at least some co- connection. Jack Del Rio wanted okay. to be the coach at USC. 
He's a professional coach. He played at USC. Correct. Um, Pete Carroll was the head coach for the New England Patriots and the New York Jets. Went to USC. Lincoln Riley was Correct. an assistant for, for, you know, Stoops was the uh, defensive coordinator at Florida before he went to before he went to Oklahoma. Um, there's not that transitionary school, even as an assistant, that he worked, he worked at. That's why he can't get in. Not saying he's not good enough. Not saying – I'm just saying he is not coached at a school big enough to transition into it. So you mean he'd have to go to an Auburn first and then to an Oklahoma? Or there even left on Auburn. Exactly. Okay. And I don't think Maryland, well, Auburn. Maryland would get him there either. So it's not. This is not a Syracuse thing. Oh no no no! Mer- look, Maryland's a Maryland's a dumpster dive. I mean, I don't know. If, if, if you can resurrect if you can resurrect the Maryland move. program, yeah, and if you can resurrect the Maryland program to where Syracuse is right now, you can make a jump to basically anywhere in the ACC. Oh, I don't think. Including- oh, I don't think it's the, no 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 no. You have it wrong. It's a dumpster fire because of the administration. The talent there right now is very good short of quarterback. It is very, very good. And I'm telling you know me, I am not this ridiculously biased no, no, Maryland no. guy. And you're and you're and you're not hearing me, Seth. What I'm saying is perception is what, nine tenths of the law, right? I mean it's per, it's really possession, but we'll say perception in college football. Right. It doesn't matter how good the talent is. You're on the back page of the newspaper for a bad reason. If you can turn yeah, that back, yeah. if you could turn, it's the image of Maryland right now. It has nothing to do with but the talent. Oh no, no, I completely agree. But the image yeah. can be erased very easily because the image is not the team. The image is the Agreed. university, and Agreed. you can change that Agreed. quickly. The president, the guy, the coach was fired. The AD will eventually be replaced when the president quits next year. They're all going to be gone. I'm not as worried about that. I'm really not. What I find more kind of the most disappointing thing to me of all this is we lost a game we very well could have won against Indiana, and we're not going to go to a bowl game. And the players, look, the school deserves a lot of the crap they got. The players deserve none of it. They've handled themselves this next week, which is Ohio State-Michigan, because that's a huge game with, with tremendous bowl implications going forward, especially playoff implications. But we'll tackle that next week as that is the Thanksgiving Day game, and we'll fi- or the la- Thanksgiving weekend game, and we'll know the, the winner of Syracuse and Notre Dame by that point and where, I don't know, where Notre Dame's going to go. But there was a big trade in the NBA this week. Well, the trade was finally consummated. I'm not sure if it was huge at the point. But Jimmy Butler finally gets released from prison, or what he thinks is called prison, and I think is a better situation than the one that he went to. So he goes to Philadelphia to combine with Ben Simmons and uh, uh, Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick. And really, Philadelphia gives up Dario Saric. 
and Robert Covington. And Robert Covington. Yep. I don't see how this works from a Philadelphia point of view. Look, I picked Philadelphia before the season to make it to the finals. I think I actually picked them to win it. No, I didn't because I said I would never go to Golden State. I had Golden State against Philadelphia. And I really liked the pick. I really did. I really felt that they – it was either going to be them or Toronto. I don't, I don't like the chemistry in Boston. I, I, or maybe I just hate Boston. It could be one of the other. But the fact is, but the fact is, I really liked their team. I really liked the fact that you had spacing with Covington and you had spacing with Sarich and you had spacing with Redick and you had probably the most dominating big man, perhaps in basketball, in Joel Embiid if he could stay healthy in the middle. I, and Ben Simmons didn't have to shoot a three-pointer because you had Sarage and Covington and Reddick. And now you lost that for, for a guy who initially has better talent than either of the two guys that he's replacing. Jimmy Butler is a top 20 player in the NBA. No question about it. But he's 30 years old, and he's been on Thibodeau miles, which means he's been overworked and underpaid for a very long time. He realizes this and now goes to a team where I think spacing is the biggest issue of all when before the year it, it was the biggest plus. I think it's a horrible deal for Philadelphia. I think it's the best deal that Minnesota possibly could have gotten. I still don't like the deal from either side, other than Jimmy Butler is no longer in Minnesota. It's a weird deal. I mean, a deal that would have made the most sense from Minnesota's standpoint, was either Miami or the four first-round picks in Houston. But here's the thing, and we've talked about this before with with guys who are coaches or GMs that are playing for their job. What good is four first-round picks going to do Tom Thibodeau if he's not in Minnesota anymore because he got fired? So what they brought in were two serviceable players on very good contracts. Um, who, you know, the problem is Thibodeau is pretty much now a dead man walking. And I think we know that. I don't really disagree with you. And the thing that I see as a Nets fan is I'm kind of relieved by this. Because as much as the Nets are going to, as I think the Nets are going to have a really interesting run next year at free agents, if there's people available, because it seems to be less and less. Yep. The one thing after all the years that they've put in, you know, to kind of develop this team, which I'll tell you, I really like. They're 6-6, six and six, but they're fun to watch, and they play really hard for Atkinson. They need the one superstar. The superstar is not Jimmy Butler. And I would not want to pay Jimmy Butler $190 million over five years. It's not reasonable to me. Because, again, he's, as you said, he's a hard-nosed, grinder and a hell of a player, but he's not going to age well. And I look at this Philly team and you look at who they've lost, they have no shooting. Yep. They have no outside shooting other than Redick. So what are you really looking at? You're looking at a guy who's going to stagnate the offense because he's kind of an ISO guy. Which doesn't help when you have this when you have someone like Ben Simmons who can develop plays. I don't know 
I would not have done this trade for either side. I would not have done this trade for Philly. I don't know if I would have done this for Minnesota. Because I don't know what they've had at this point. There just may be nothing left. They just just be an addition by subtraction. And the real problem Minnesota has is you're paying pretty much an average player at Andrew Wiggins $31 million a year, who doesn't seem to yeah. give a damn. Well, that's Seth, that's what this is all about. This is all about the development of Wiggins, right? So if Wiggins now comes out of this and says, you know what? I, okay, I think I could say this. Screw Jimmy Butler. I'm going to show him what type of player I can be without him in the damn room. Then that works, right? That that's 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 what you want if you're Scott Layden or if you're Tom Thibodeau. But if he's going to be the right. same player where he averages, where he becomes Carmelo Anthony, I mean, let's yeah. let's circle back, and, and, right? If he becomes twenty-four points a game, right? If he becomes a Carmelo Anthony with twenty-four points, four rebounds, three assists. Look, Carmelo did a little bit more on the rebounding, but let's call it spade and spade and doesn't play a lick of defense, which is the one thing that everybody, including myself and including yourself, Seth, said about Wiggins coming out, was he was going to be a defensive stopper. That was his calling card. It wasn't volume scoring. It was defensive stopping. And that has been nowhere nowhere to be seen. Absolutely nowhere. Take, ladies and gentlemen, if you are looking and you are watching Timberwolf games, which seems rather strange to be saying, are you watching Timberwolf games? But I would pay attention to Carl Anthony Towns. Because, first of all, he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Period. End of story. He's a dominant force in the West. I would want to see how he handles this. Because in the games that Butler was missing, he was upping his game. So I'm wondering now that Butler is gone, whether he's going to completely up his game to another level. Okay, so we got five minutes left. So I'm just scanning the wires today, and I, I see something that boggles my mind. The Golden State Warriors will offer $100 monthly passes with no view of the court. So basically... You're going to pay a $100 entrance fee to get into the stadium with no seat, no viewing area, but you have the admittance, you can go, you have the allowance. Oh, please, allow me to pay more money so I can go to a bar in the stadium as opposed to outside of the stadium. That's basically what happens. So fans can purchase up to four in-the-building passes although one must be connected to a name. Oh, and by the way, they're not, you can't sell them. They are what they are. There are 200 passes each month, and they will automatically be renewed. There are currently 44,000 people on the Warriors season ticket waiting list. <laughs> and, and you are allowed, so if you can come into the stadium with your, I don't know, entrance fee only, you only get the giveaways if you're one of the first 10,000 people in the door. I don't know what would possess me to ever do this. I, I, I have a hard time understanding how I'm going to have to go pay for parking, get into the stadium, because 
Seth, you and I have both been to Oracle Arena or right there. There's no mass transit. So you're going to have to pay to get in. No, 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 no. They're moving. No, this is for this this year. For this year? No, I think this is. I think this is for this year. No. It's got to be for no, next no, year. No, 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 you're right. You're, no, it's Oracle Arena. That's Jeez. this year. So you got to get to Oracle Arena. First of all, there's no mass transit even to the new building. There's no mass transit anywhere in San Francisco. We found that out. So so if you go to the stadium, you pay your 100 bucks per month. It is per month. So it's basically like a $10 fee, I guess, $10, $20 fee. You got to pay for parking, which is probably another twenty bucks. You got to then go in and buy a beer, which is probably another. You're at sixty bucks for one beer in a bar. Oh, please sign me up, please. For the love of God, I really wish I can get. Anyway, so you couldn't pay me. Nope, not gonna happen. So anyway, so that's that's the interesting thing I saw on that. Congratulations to Dice K Matsuzaka. Yes, I know you never thought you'd hear me what? mention his name ever again. Yeah, yeah. Daisuke Matsuzaka won the Comeback Player of the Year in Japanese baseball this week. No kidding. No joke. No joke. Yep, Comeback Player of the Year. So from, from, a, from a Mets fan who rooted on for Daisuke uh, for several reasons. First of all, he played for the Red Sox and against the Yankees. But another thing that he wasn't met for a little time. Congratulations. Welcome back to relativity and, and, and prominently. And again, to the veterans, thank you very much for your service. Uh, we wouldn't be here without you. Okay, Seth, you got two minutes. Go. All right. Uh, one of the big things we didn't mention, and actually I'm going to want your view on this, is one of the best catcher, one of the best players in the last 25 years retired. Uh, announced, officially announced his retirement. We didn't really talk too much about Joe Mauer. Yeah, we'll get to that next week. Okay, we'll get to that next week. We'll put it in next week's column. Wow, then I, I, I guess I, I don't have too much else to say. No, Great you change. could start it. You could start it, and we'll finish it up next week. But we're definitely going to discuss it next week. I actually forgot about it as well. Right. Yeah. You got 90 seconds. Well, you know, a guy who played, who pretty much forewent football scholarship at Florida State is one of the number, top three recruits in the country, gets drafted by his hometown team and never leaves. And, you know, we would talk about the transient, you know, the vagabonds of, of, of all the leagues, of all the teams. It is nice to see a guy like Maurer, you know, even if there were some issues at the end based more, some, more on a contract than anything else and the injuries that went with it. Um. You know, he's going to be an interesting Hall of Fame, and I kind of—it's going to be a very interesting Hall of Fame vote on him because yeah. he had—he had years of great, but a lot of years of good, and in, in an era in an era of power, he had none. So, <laughs> you know, we'll talk about it next week. Until then, hopefully, Todd Bowles will still have a job, although I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, man, I think he just wanted to avoid it this week. Like he's now officially gone after this year. Oh, he's definitely gone after this year. I don't think they'll make an in-season change because that's not the Jets' philosophy, and there's really no coach on the on the staff. Who are you going to bring in? You can't. You, right, there's exactly. no one else to take over. The you know, question is, does, does your GM go? And we'll talk about that next week. 
right, so, for Seth Kamish, this is Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com, Blog Talk Radio, and we'll check you next week with Joe Mara. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>